No time for gloom. Welcome to the Doom Room. I'm doomed. I'm Alex. Boom, boom. It's the Doom Room. I'm doomed. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And we are going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 2 of Doom Patrol, Donkey Patrol, as we continue to make our way through the first season here. Now, if it's been a while since you checked it out for whatever reason, the Doom Patrol, and they don't even call themselves that, that yet. They're just a bunch of people who are hanging out. Uh, they have decided to be heroes, stand up to, they don't know it also yet, uh, but Mr. Nobody and save the town of Cloverton after they kind of wrecked it in a blob-fueled rampage in the last episode. Niles Calder is a little bit pissed about it. He's going up against Mr. Nobody this episode. We find out a lot more about everybody's backstories. So that's mm. that's the brief recap before we get into here. Um, but first episode, just as sort of a little bit of a reset, as we mentioned, Pete and I have watched... Not the full series, but definitely ahead. Justin, first season. What? We've watched first the season. first season. We've watched the first season. I don't want to go through every episode each time. I didn't want to spend a lot of time here. But if you want to, if you want to recap the whole thing, Pete, you love recap. So no, I was just saying that, like you know, we we've seen like this old season. We haven't seen every episode, but you know, yeah. But then you we... ditched it after the second season, right? After I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I have yet to. I want to. You know. Now we're going to go through it together. Wow, oh. Scandal! There's <laughs> <laughs> steam coming out your ears, boy. Oh man! I want to check in with Justin because you are still coming into this relatively clean in terms of the second episode. I think you were pretty positive on the first episode. If anything, I was probably the most negative about the first episode, even though yeah. I really liked it a lot. Uh, but uh, what'd you think? Uh, how did you feel this one improved on the second uh, first episode? Was a step down? Where was it for you? I, I think it's an improvement. I really like the the tone of this show is so different um, from every other superhero show. I think I said this a lot um, last time, but it's like really funny. Um, at the same time, it's this like actual jokes, good comedy uh, writing paired with like all this bad stuff happening to these characters. And we meet Cyborg in this episode and get to see a bunch of bad stuff that has happened to him as well. Cyborg to me is a really weird, interesting fit for this show. And certainly that's sort of the point here because he's presented as an actual superhero or the way that he puts it, I think he says he's five years away from the Justice League. Yeah, future JL member. Yeah. Uh, so he's very different from everybody else here. And he's certainly doing he's in this mode that I really like a lot uh, where he's playing against Rita and Larry in this episode who are like, we don't want to do anything. Please leave us alone. <laughs> yeah. And Cyborg's whole thing is like, no, I'm a hero. I'm going to do my hero thing. I'm going to push you a little harder about this. And that push and pull versus where we left them at the end of the last episode really plays nicely into that tease from Alan Tiddick as Mr. Nobody, I think, where at the end of the last episode, he was like, we're not going to do the typical superhero thing. This is not going to be that. And Cyborg is still in the superhero mode, but is slowly going to have to come around to the idea that things things happen a little differently here at Doom Manor. Uh, well, <laughs> nice. Um, I think that, is that uh, Dalton? Timothy Dalton right there? I don't know what that was. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. Southern gentleman is kind of what I was going for. Wow. Nice. Ooh, I I'm just you. sitting here on the porch drinking my sweet tea and uh, being doomed. Don't spoil a huge pivotal character coming down the pipeline. for Foghorn Leghorn? 
Yeah, that's <laughs> oh, right. Uh, animated. Um, I w- what I was going to say is, uh, as far as Cyborg goes, I've never really liked the character. In oh, well, come on, how about comics? Teen Just Titans Go? Sen- fine, fine, Teen Titans <laughs> okay, Go. Okay, Jesus Christ. Let's wow. not slander. I mean... It's surprising to me that that was your go-to, Pete. Mind you, I love Teen Titans Go. It's very funny, but I, I would be sure you'd call out a comic book run or like, I don't know, one of the animated movies that you love so much, something like that. But no, Teen Titans Go is your go-to? I mean, Cyborg's amazing in that. Teen Titans Go, too. Peyton, man. He's great. Mm-hmm. Alex, now I can't unhear you doing a light foghorn leghorn accent. <laughs> I'll say, I'll say, I'll say. No, stop, it's very close. But this is definitely my favorite version of Cyborg that I've seen in any oh, other wow. comic or anything. I feel like Cyborg's often painted as this, like, stu- like pardon the pun, but stone. He's just mm-hmm. like, I'm sad, but I'm going to keep doing this superhero work that I don't really like, and I'm going to figure it out. And it feels like such a character that you have to really work to enjoy. This character has enough of that to still be Cyborg, but he makes mistakes. He's sort of a dick to Cliff in a funny way here and yeah. a way where I'm like, oh, that's a person in there, as opposed to so many other parts of Cyborg, uh, versions of Cyborg are him being like, I'm a man in here. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're a robot human who has a robot parts uh, attached to him. For me, it was really interesting revisiting this because it took me a very long time to come around to Cyborg even being on the show and really yeah well part Dude, of the what's reason your deal i'm a bad man no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no wow. part of the i'm about to explain it part of the reason was that titans was airing at the same time and you think about cyborg uh, as being part of the titans being part of the teen titans mm-hmm. that's how you see him that's usually his place in the comics teen so titans if go. you were gonna put him anywhere I thought, all right, you put him in there. And then also, I don't remember the exact timeline, but this is about the same time as the original version of Justice League that came out in theaters, right? So it still felt like, why are you doing both cyborgs at the same time? I don't know why we need all of these different versions of the same character. You thought there was a mix-up at the factory. Yeah, I thought there was a (laughs) mix-up at the comic book roll-up factory. And as you pointed out the last episode, there are so many characters in what Pete called incorrectly called the DC Flip at the beginning of the episode. Uh, It's the DC Flip, motherfucker. What are you talking about? I watched it. Nothing's flipping. Okay, well, all right, so Marvel coined the term Marvel Flip or whatever. No, they we did not. All right, well, whatever. <laughs> There's the Marvel Flip. We all know what I mean. So I'm calling it the DC Flip, even though it's this kind of like animated intro to a it's lot a of It's a character pastiche. It's a character A character pastiche. wheel, if you will. I mean, what? I mean, whatever. It's the DC wheel. Flip, which is a, you know, you know what I mean. Don't be an Nobody asshole about it. Mean. I really, but I really what don't. What I appreciate about because it. Because I did. I legit, after we taped the last episode, I legit, like, I sort of visually skip over it most times in my head because I've seen it so many times. I this time it. I watched Every it, I was like, where is this it. flipping that he's talking about? No and there was nil. All right, so the DC intro, uh, what's great about it is it is yeah, that anime. Wrong. Can you go back to DC Flip? That sounds okay. better. Yeah, I great. like Flip. I, I like, like when flip. you're saying stuff I'd rather that's use wrong. DC Flip. Okay, great. But I appreciate the fact that it's animated because it is closer to the comic's roots, which I feel like Marvel has gotten away from, and it's a little upsetting. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Talk about what the hill that you will die on is 
Very interesting. I look forward to attending your funeral on this DC flip hill. Yeah. Uh, To get back to the cyborg uh, thing, though. Oh, go ahead, Because I just want to say one other thing that um, I think the weirdest move you can make in a show where the characters are quote unquote weird is to have a character that is so straight laced and so like Justice League uh, wannabe added to the mix. It's a great different flavor uh, to mix in here. Well, I agree with you. And what I was going to say is that away from those preconceptions of why isn't he on Titans? Why are they doing two cyborgs at the same time? I like the character a lot better. And exactly what you're saying, it really worked really nicely because they do dig very heavily in in this episode into the horror elements of Cyborg's origin because he gets go ahead, Pete. Well, I was just saying, you don't you don't get that a lot. And the fact that it's done in this way and not only uh, does Cyborg have that kind of trauma, but there's also like the issues with his father that really make him a perfect fit for this team uh, that is dealing with so much. And you look at Cyborg and there's a guy who's rocking Jordans, looking clean, uh, you know, seems like he has everything going for him. But when you kind of peel him back a little bit, it's nice to see his flaws and to see like the start of of who he is and what he's going to grow into. A young Cyborg who's still figuring stuff out is kind of a uh, unique character. And I think it, it it's a fun fit for the Doom Patrol. And there's also this kind of cliff thing of like, you have this older robot who doesn't do as many things. Clunky robot. Uh, and then the n- newer model, like kind of, it's just, there's a lot of fun that you, uh, that can be had with these characters. Oh yeah. That was the it's other like thing a- that bothered me initially was the fact that I was like, there's two robot guys. Come on. Oh, come on, dude. No, but that's uh, like, you guys, it's like, I was fine you're with a robot. That's, that's a robotist. Yeah. And one straight. of the robots is clunky. is like a Motorola razor. And one of them is like an iPhone that's dealing with some mama trauma. Hmm. Uh, also, you mentioned his dad. That's Phil Morris, who is awesome. Uh, he's great. Philip Silas Morris. You see what they did there? Phil Morris. Well, you'd probably know him better as Jackie Childs from Seinfeld, Pete. Yeah, yes. yeah sure. Same, very that. similar characters here. Mm-hmm. Guy is a great actor. He can but yeah, he's great. He disappears to do a role. <laughs> well, yeah, and I also like the fact, this is jumping all over the place, but the overall plot of the episode, again, if you haven't watched it recently, is they're trying to figure out what happened to the town where Cloverton went. Ultimately, they find out it went inside of the doggy, which is this keyhole to another dimension. They get a sure, tour sure. from Mr. Nobody. Uh, through their individual traumas. And ultimately, it's Cyborg a little bit who pushes back on Mr. Nobody, but it's something with the negative spirit that ultimately gets them out of there, makes the donkey explode and brings the town back. Um, But I, I really like that moment there where Cyborg is lying on the ground, blown apart, and... He tells Mr. Nobody, he says, listen, that's not what makes Cyborg. This is not yeah. my trauma. This is the, in a very Peter Parker, great power, yeah. great responsibility type way. This is, this is what pushes me to be better every day. Ultimately, there's a great twist there where it turns out he probably doesn't feel that way. That's actually something his dad programmed to. Yeah, to exactly. Um, yeah. But it's a good moment, nevertheless, and it's played really well. But what's interesting is we have the intro to the characters in the second episode here by this uh, narrator that obviously we can't trust, 
but it's it's such a cool kind of like fast forward of like look at these four couch potatoes you know and just kind of breaks them all down in such a fun kind of snarky bad guy way that is just so enjoyable and fresh back to what Justin is talking about a little it's bit It's a great sure. tone yeah and I like some of the lines in here are so funny like let the pretentious title sequence begin like yeah. just Uh-oh. what we were talking about yeah. it's like they heard our first episode of the podcast and then changed the show to suit it And so also I, I listened he was like he was like you know what I should be drinking for this and I was like you're right what am I doing I went and got a drink you know like oh, that's great wow. what did you drink what did you uh, partake of Pete I had some vodka Oh, just straight vodka. Some vodka. You really take that shit seriously. I mm. also like the line right after that um, with uh, where he's like, who is this even for? And it's like Grant Morrison <laughs> fans, Reddit trolls, DC Universe subscribers, and the three new fans that stuck around after the donkey. I yeah, the like, that's us. That, that's yeah. us. Yeah, that's yeah. us. We stuck uh-huh. around after the donkey. Yeah, it's great. And it's great that all of this fourth wall breaking stuff that Alan Tiddick is doing fits with the tone of the show because the way it's filmed, it's filmed very dramatically. It's very dark. It's very DC extended universe. But the way that everybody is playing it fits differently and fits with the tone of what's going on there and allows those things to happen. It's also like you were saying. It's a little thing, but like the fact that Alan Tiddick does the recap and is making fun of everybody during the recap perfectly sets the tone there right at the beginning of the episode where it does allow these wild flights of fancy to begin where you don't even I think I think you briefly get to see the characters if I remember, and then there's a talking cockroach named Ezekiel who's like finally oh, it's my time to shine. Dude, the cockroach yeah, the cockroach Booker. part. Yeah, Booger, yeah, from Revenge of the Nerds, like, gives this whole soliloquy just so fun and so amazing in this, as the narrator says, a shit show of all this crazy stuff going on. But also, I wanted to say, like, the the part where he's recapping what happened to Cliff Steele and then just goes, yikes, just, uh, I mean... Comedically, so impressive. Total side note here, but if you like Alan Tiddick's narration at all on Doom Patrol, no, yeah, you've been waiting to bring this show up. For well, a you should—it's uh, another comic book show. You should check out Resident Alien on yeah. Sci-Fi, which is also very funny. It's a different character, but he narrates that the entire time, and it's the same sort of thing. Where like he's very hateful and making fun of everybody, but. Again, different character, different focus, uh, but also super, super funny and super fun there as well. I mean, the part where he's like, and these clowns got in their clown car and went to the clown. I just oh. went to clown town. Yeah, yeah, went to clown town. Oh, Good great. Stuff. What do you think so far of the relationship between Chief and Mr. Nobody? Because that's something that plays big in this episode, not just for the two of them, but also in terms of the other members, the other residents of Doom Matter and how they're feeling about this overall conflict. Justin? Uh, I mean, it feels like there's a, there's a lot of depth here that we don't know yet. And yeah. in general, Calder is such a mysterious character so far. Like, it's clear that, that he's up to something, that there's a lot of underneath here. And he has this sort of fake exterior, like Professor X exterior, where he's this kindly He's scientist. a little more of a Magneto in a wheelchair type, I would say. Yes, oh I think God. that's exactly what we're saying. <laughs> oh um but I, I do think like there's going to be more here, and I think he's going to have some up to no good um, uh, reveals coming. Is my prediction? Yeah, Timothy Dalton is really good. How do you feel about this, Pete? I assume you're a big Bond fan, so seeing him take this turn does it 
Well, that's the thing. We don't a little bit. We don't know that he's bad. He seems like a shitty leader, which, you know, Professor X also checks that box. So, like, it's just one of those things where uh, there's some history. We don't know it. We're rooting for the James Bond uh, chief. Um, because we think he is on the right side of history, but uh, we will see. It is definitely like a mid-boss battle where it's like there's so much history going on and we don't know like uh, kind of what got these two there. One element we get in a big way in this episode, and I'm not even joking about this that I love about this show, is we finally get Cliff cursing up a storm throughout. Yeah, (laughs) And, And I mention that because... It is very hard to curse that much and give a different inflection each time, a different intent each time. But that's exactly what Brendan Fraser does here so well. Like every time he says, holy shits are just, yeah, every time it's different. Every time it's funny and it's easy to make those things feel like cheap jokes, but he makes them work for the character and work for the dialogue. Pete, just to call you out again, it reminds me a lot of Roy Kent on Ted Lasso, just in terms of a character who also curses really well. Somebody yeah. else on TV. We should see a team up, right? Cliff Steele. Oh my god, Kent. that would that would just be magical. Yeah, the swear off begin. And what was great is you have Rita there going like, "We get it." You know what I mean? Like, yeah. the, <laughs> just. But he is he's right. Like, it's so insane. Somebody's got to be standing there saying, "What the fuck? Holy shit! Holy holy!" You know, just trying to come to grips with all the madness that is going on. Yeah. Well, um, and let me just say real quick, um, I, f- I think it's amazing that Cliff's face is pretty still. Um, like, he doesn't move much, but I am so on board with this character. This character feels one of the most human. You ride with him throughout this whole episode. And it's crazy to me. We have two characters who are sort of VO'd uh, over the course, and I believe Cliff more than I do uh, Larry. Mm. And he has like a human face underneath those bandages. Yeah, and I, and, I don't know what why that is. But yeah, I I definitely know because like Larry is not only struggling with kind of like who he is, but also this thing inside of him. But because he's so kind of doesn't know himself, there is less emotions there. And and yeah, I didn't really think about that until now, but. You feel Cliff so easily, and he has yeah. no facial features, no emotions. It's all the tone of his voice, and the way it kind of like echoes in that robot too makes it extra sad. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's really impressive what they're pulling off. I, I wanted to give a shout out to the uh, the actual actors doing it, not just the voice actors, but for Cliff, it's Riley Shanahan is the name of the guy. And for Larry Trainer, it's a guy named Matthew Zuck. And he actually, apparently, I, I meant to look this up years ago, but he appears as Larry without the bandages right, as, as well. We today. Uh, which is interesting. This I wasn't episode. sure if that was Matt Bober coming in for a quick shot and some makeup or something like that. A lot but, of makeup. But I think to the point that Pete's making, the difference there is that Cliff is very big and he is all external. So it allows Riley Shanahan to do those like big movements with his hands and shaking back and forth that give Brendan Fraser's voice that extra oomph versus Larry Trainer is 
he's scared of everything. Like he's all internal. He's wrapped up in the bandages. He's barely moving. He doesn't want to touch anything. He's he can't with, catch a bus. Yeah, can't catch a bus. Oh man, heartbreaking. <laughs> fun I mean, sequence though. Very is fun. it fun? I mean, every time I'm just like, oh dude, stop, just stop. He's not going to let you go anywhere. Well, I'm very curious what when we learn sort of what the the being the sparkle the sparkles inside of him the light are. Beam. Come on, man. yeah. Well, I don't know. They haven't really defined. Uh, it's called a. That. It's called a flip. It's a flip yeah. inside. Oh <laughs> my god! Um, because um, that uh, that being seems to have more of an understanding of what's going on than Larry does, or at least cares more. Yeah. Um, but I got to say a couple things. Um, first off, Kernville does have good tubing. If you guys uh, ever want to pop over, okay, all right, good. And to know. secondly, Greyhound's bus ticket sales must have been triple. Oh yeah, <laughs> they, that, that's a run. They must have been like, mm-hmm. "What are we doing? We got a the service there is excellent." Where does Larry get all that money? That's what I'm wondering. Exactly. Yeah. Also makes me wonder yeah. where are they going to the grocery store? Is somebody delivering their groceries? What's going on at Doom Manor? You know, how are they keeping fed? How are they eating? How are they getting supplies? I mean, Fresh what? Direct, but I guess I don't yeah. know anyone that has Delivering. the like sort of resources to get Fresh Direct like on a regular basis, uh, mm-hmm. especially like fruit, any like uh, fruit shipped in on a big time basis. Like, what kind of big timer would be able to Fresh Direct an apple? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like exactly. a large apple. Yeah, like a large it took apple. me a while to realize what you were getting at. Listen, yeah, I don't want to talk about it on every podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some yeah. I was making fun I've of some, you. I've had some <laughs> large apples recently is what Justin is getting at. This is neither here nor Which there. Which is a euphemism. It's, it's a euphemism. It's, it's, it's a so euphemism much for enormous apples, okay? They're the size of a baby's face. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, wow. it is. Yeah. That's a weird thing to compare it to. Well, I don't know sizes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what size? What size am I? Oh, I'm about six baby do, faces across. <laughs> I do really like the Larry Trainer negative spirit relationship in this episode. It definitely goes in a surprising direction in terms of him trying to make some sort of peace with it. You know, put a putting that post-it note up there and trying to. What talk an to asshole, it man! It didn't say thank you on that post-it note. He was supposed to say thank you, man. Come on, Larry Trainer. He was supposed to thank the light being on the post-it note, and he didn't. He's like, we got to talk about deal? the ground rules. This is the rules. second episode in a row that you've gunned directly for Larry Trader's matters. Yeah, yeah, I just don't like the way he's treating the light being who's doing all the heavy lifting in the fucking relationship. You, you know, don't this like guy, the way he's treating the this light, light being. being. Yeah, you don't like the way he's treating his wife. What do you like about Larry? Name one thing you like about Larry Trader so he doesn't feel bad if he listens. He's nice to Rita. He, uh, you know, he really uh, looks out for uh, Rita, which I appreciate. Yes. I like his uh, donkey blood look. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. That was pretty cool. I felt bad for the donkey when it exploded towards the end of the episode. Yeah. That was a bummer. Now, that donkey was ready to go. I think how full full that donkey was to all that whole episode. I do do bricks. Oh, go ahead, Pete. I I do love the idea of like Cyborg trying to wrap its mind around the fact that this donkey is somehow a gateway to something. Like, that was really fun to be like, just give me a second. I need to, you know, process. You don't have to say donkey like Shrek does. Shrek doesn't (laughs) own the pronunciation of donkey. You can say it normally. What? How am I saying donkey? You said donkey? 
Yeah, donkey. <laughs> donkey. Was... To be fair, we should mention to anybody listening to, be to the podcast right now, uh, Pete is taping this from a swamp. Yeah. <laughs> Pete has the most Shrek in him, technically. Oh, man. Do you have any Shrek in you, Pete? You want some? You know what? I, dad I'm, joke I've been, ever. For, I've been married for a very long time, but mm-hmm. that never worked as a picture. I feel bad for your wife. <laughs> I could see you in a bar in the mid '90s, just being like, "Hey, the height of Shrek, height of Shrek, <laughs> the height, Shrek two, even even bigger than the first yeah. one." Uh-huh. Didn't work. Never worked. Uh, it was the green face paint. I love the scene where Rita is trying to psych herself up to blob out and go inside of the donkey. Very fun stuff there. Very fun stuff in terms of she needs to channel the proper emotions as an actor to get into blob form. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was really good. Um, Just overall, I love Rita in this show. She just has a fun tone, and I love the idea of it seems almost beyond refusal of the call so much as she has no heroic bones in her body whatsoever. Yeah, and to have someone who's, like, uh, so vulnerable but also gets to be sort of the brassy, tough one as well from moment to moment is um, is great. And also, I mean, I've, I mean, she's surrounding herself with posters of herself. I mean, that's, that's pretty vain. One thing I did want to talk about, like, that you guys mentioned in the last episode that I, I really noticed in this episode, the music. I mean, the fact of when we had that kind of, like, open pit and like the heavy organ was so fun and like really kind of like emphasized the intensive intensity, but also this kind of like clowny fun uh, to kind of undercut it a little bit. It was such an interesting, cool choice. And got to shout out the, the Bowie song at the end of the episode. Oh yeah. Uh, Lazarus, I think is the name of it. And man, awesome. We should talk about regular human Jane because we haven't touched on her at all. And she has a big plot line in this episode as Cliff finds out a lot more about her, about her different personalities, how she has this whole map of her different personalities called the underground. Uh, Justin, what was your take on that? How'd you feel about all this information here? I really like all this. I really like the way they're um, showing her personality shift, the sort of little blur that goes across her. I think that's really cool. Uh, we get to see her like sort of Phoenix energy uh, character, Lucy mm-hmm. Fugue, Hammerhead, the the person that turns metal words into metal. That's so, very cool. That's so hardcore, dude. So hardcore. Um, I have a crackpot theory that you guys probably already know the answer to. And it seems a little bit too neat, but I was getting the, the idea that she's maybe Cliff's daughter in this uh, mm. episode. Oh, uh, wow. But... Um, I just wanted to say I, it. I, I, what's interesting is I really liked Cliff's choice in this, right? Like he was like, fuck this, I'm out. But then was like, I'm going to go to the fucking chief's office here and kind of get to the bottom of some of this. And, you know, he's watching the tapes. He's putting in the time to kind of understand how to talk to Jane, because that's a really where a lot of these issues are. They don't know who they're talking to. They don't know what she's been through. They don't know who's what. So, like, the fact that, you know, Cliff was willing to kind of put in the time, watch VHS tapes, which is not easy. Um, and On a very old TV. Yeah. Knobs. yeah. And then kind of, like, 
gets the kind of like key information uh, and then goes to kind of say Vic was pretty awesome. But then when he's just sitting against the door talking to her, it was just so amazing and heartbroken and so well shot to show this kind of monster of a character trying to make himself so small to be able to talk to Jane was such a cool, great idea. The other thing that I really like about the dynamic, and this gets back to your theory about the daughter thing a little bit, is at the very least, Cliff is Cliff's reasons for trying to help Jane are not entirely altruistic, which she immediately calls him out on. And I do think that makes it a really interesting dynamic because in a lesser TV show, you would have Cliff realizing, well, I've lost my daughter. I'm going to connect with this woman. And she'll be like, you know what? Uh, my Niles Calder was not really a dad for me. Let's connect and hang out. And she immediately calls him on his shit and is like, no, yeah. I'm not your daughter. Don't try to replace your daughter with me. What are you doing? Stop this. And so even if it potentially heads in that direction or she does turn out to be his daughter or anything like that, I think the way that it plays out here it's, you know, we talk about this a lot from the improv terms, uh, but I actually think like a lot of the no but works in this show. And oh, that is what a lot you. of the character. Well, I think that's what a lot of the characters are doing. Like, that's definitely what Rita's doing. She's like, leave me alone. Is her whole yeah, but game. That, those no buts are, are the reason that are keeping her from growing and being a better person. The same thing with Trainer, like the fact that he refuses to get to know the light. Energy being inside of him is what's causing him to be stuck and emotionless, you know? What they're doing is sw swimming backward into the shark's mouth. Mm. Or the donkey's mouth in this donkey. Uh, another o o donkey? Another mm. old improv term is swimming backwards into the shark's mouth, which means the character is sort of looks like they're trying to get away, but you know they're going to end up in the most interesting place um, for the episode or the scene right in that shark's mouth. Now, let me let me ask you, Justin, as someone who was watching this for the first time, when you saw Jane get coughed out of a donkey, because my reaction is like, oh, man, this is a fun. This is a this, this is, is a fun. A fun. This is this, one fun. Yeah, this is a fun. <laughs> Were you having fun at that? Or are you just like this show is too uh, weird? Uh, one to fun, please. And yeah. <laughs> can I also get a large popcorn? Thanks so much. <laughs> I'll get, uh, I'm not super hungry. I'll just get one baby's face of fun. <laughs> <laughs> just one baby's face will do me. Throwing it on him. Uh, sorry, Pete, what were you saying? Is that, mm. did I think it was fun? What's <laughs> <laughs> I <mean>, your question? <laughs> was Pete, it too weird or Pete were you having of, fun? Pete is one of uh, America's most hardest hitting interviewers <laughs> and he would like to know if you're having fun watching this TV show. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Taking the Chris Farley show to the next level. That's what, yeah, that's uh, how I do things. The, um, I, yes, I, it wasn't too weird. I, I knew that donkey was something. Now, let's remember that donkey farted words last time. So I was sure like, this did. donkey, I was like, this donkey is a fun and I'm going to keep watching wherever <laughs> And we stayed past the donkey, so we're kind of in. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Other uh, any other notes, any other scenes or moments that you guys want to call out? I, I, I'll just mention I wrote down the line. I think this is, I mean, this is definitely Rita, but I think this is when they're talking about the doggy door thing. Her shouting, "I am a Golden Globe nominee." Yep. Made yeah. me laugh pretty hard. So good. Great dialogue on this show. Great writing. Great dialogue. Uh, I wrote down the same line. Um, I do want to say, like we talked about it briefly about Cyborg's dad um, repeating the line back to him um, at the end of the episode, mm -hmm. and. It, 
Cyborg looking at him like, that's my, that's in my brain. Um, I thought it was such a cool move to have that happen, but not really explain it and just put it in the air because clearly that's something we're going to deal with later. And I think we're going to learn that Vic's dad is maybe not so great. And then through that, that Calder is also sort of maybe not the greatest. Person. Well, and also I think I, I like the way that Vic plays that immediately afterwards because he isn't like, like you're saying, he doesn't immediately shoot it back as his dad. He plays it pretty cool. And it's like, yeah, yeah I'm just going to, I'm going to hang out here for a little bit. I'm going to just kind of see how yeah. things go. No big deal. Don't even worry about it. So he's starting to realize things are very wrong with his life and he might be as monstrous as anybody else in Doom Manor, but he's not quite there yet. And like a good hero, he's trying to investigate the mystery and figure it out first. Pete, any scenes or moments you wanted to call out in particular? Yeah, the part where, uh, you know, a trainer is struggling and then the little kid goes, Mommy, the mummy is awake. Oh, just just really fun. Like uh, the fact that they're, you know, just kind of like monsters out in the world struggling at things. And there's like people commenting on it. Just very, very cool. The uh, bandage guy, Miss Goopy Cyborg um, set up there for when they first arrived inside the donkey was very cool. And then we get this last image of um, this painting, which I think was um, uh, Cyborg holding Calder, was it, that we see? Is it was it a, Cyborg um, holding Calder, or was it just Cyborg as a monster? It, it, that's what I saw it as. Uh, it, maybe, was maybe it, was it was holding somebody. It was definitely yeah. like... Uh, it was something horrifying, and yeah. it fe- feels predictive. And I guess we have a, some whoever the paint per, painting personality maybe is. Uh, I mean, my first impression was it was a picture of my father never being proud of me, but I guess <laughs> it could have been the other thing. That's the thing about art. Oh yeah, that's the thing about artists. It's uh, up to the the beholder, really. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess it, the words Alex Zalbin were written sort of over the top of it. Yeah, 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 that was weird. It was it was surprising is what it was, but it was pleasant. Uh, I also wanted to call out, you touched on this briefly, but the whole audio tour was great. Oh. I loved the visual of the townspeople set up as these different paintings and placards throughout this strange landscape. Just the whole thing was really good. And, and we touched on this briefly at the beginning, but all of the trauma stuff that Rita deals with and Larry deals with and Vic deals with is really good. Love the moment where Mr. Nobody says, hey, you've already, uh, I, I know you're a big hero, so I'm going to just cut to the part where I torture you yeah. with Vic. Yeah. It's nice also just because it rhythmically changes up what they're going through so you're not having to walk through the same thing with all three of them. Uh, Vic gives it that different feel. Also, he has a great line of like, you know, Victor, this is about who you are. You know, I'm trying to figure out who you are, which is an interesting, you know, because sometimes we have these villains doing torture and you're just kind of like, well, how does this fit into their big plan? But it's I think it's smart to kind of like have this, uh, you know, villain trying to figure out what makes these people tick. So maybe he can take them apart and find their weaknesses. Um, but also the back and forth of like the narrator having fun at Rita's expense, like she knows this isn't real and she's going along with it. And to see her kind of struggle with the being on stage and having the voice in her head. Very, very cool. Very, very powerful stuff. Before we wrap up here, let's talk about who we think was most doomed this episode. Mm. Justin, you want to kick us off? Who was most doomed this episode? 
Uh, I feel like um, Larry was most doomed in this episode. He seems to be struggling the most with um, everything that's happening, doesn't understand Agreed. his powers, doesn't know what he's there for, and is sort of running away permanently. Um, so, and you can tell someone's doomed when they sit in front of a mirror for a long time. Um, mostly, mostly. It's a big sign. Uh, well, that's so he, you could say that for Rita, too. She sits in front of a mirror for a while. But I would say the donkey is the most doomed because he mm-hmm. explodes at the end. And uh, I hope we get more of donkey because, uh, you know, uh, we had a lot of fun. You should check out Shrek Forever After for that. I'm going to call out Cyborg as... Same donkey. Same actor. Oh, donkey. I'm going to call out Cyborg as the most doomed in this episode Aww. because well i mean he finds out that he's not the hero he thought he was uh, everything yeah. in his life is a lie um his, his dad, dad might, like yeah just doesn't seem yeah. to like him that much things are going pretty poorly for cyborg and worst of all he's just moved into do matter which is not a good idea for anybody it seems it just makes things worse so we'll certainly have to see what happens with him long term and that's it for this week's episode if you would like to support our podcast patreon.com slash comic book club also we do a live show every tuesday night at 7 p.m to crowdcast on youtube come hang out we would love to chat with you about doom patrol um probably by this point itunes android spotify stitcher or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen uh at comic book live on twitter comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and more and now as usual we're going to leave you with a piece of advice from Pete. Pete, take it away. Hey, don't look in the mirror too hard, all right? You, it's, you know, it's just one person's opinion. <laughs> <laughs>